Hi, it's Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. The title of this interview is called How to Drink Your Way to Sobriety, A New and Better Approach for Treating Alcoholism. About 1.8 million people die from alcoholism every year. Yet until recently, there still wasn't a good method for treating the disease besides detox, rehab, and abstinence. Helplessly, addicted people are told every day to just stay sober for as long as they can, and if you relapse, get back on the wagon as fast as you can. This method has about a 15% success rate, and that's probably being generous. Meet Roy Escapa, author of The Cure for Alcoholism. He's going to explain the Sinclair Method, a treatment plan that has had a 75% success rate particularly because it allows for people to keep drinking without even the slightest reduction in amount. And in this audio, you'll hear all about it. You'll also hear the almost magic way this method works in combination with a pill called naltrexone, how to get a prescription, and why abstinence cannot be part of the equation. You'll learn the exploding myths about alcoholism and how this type of chemical dependence is formed. You'll learn how to talk to your doctor if you think this method could work for you. You'll learn the reasons other programs and drugs used to treat alcoholism don't work. You'll learn other diseases naltrexone can effectively treat, along with a list of people who cannot take naltrexone. You'll learn the real-life case studies of people who have used the Sinclair method and are either completely sober or are social drinkers now. Roy says willpower is a great solution for people who can stop without turning back, and this treatment would not be for them. But for anyone who thinks they might have a hard time with that plan, here's an alternative that may work. In this audio interview, explains it all. Hi, this is Chris Costello, and I've teamed up with Michael Senoff to bring you the world's best health-related interviews. So if you know anyone struggling with their weight, with cancer, diabetes, ADHD, autism, heart disease, or other health issues, send them over to Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Today we're talking with Roy Escapa, the author of The Cure for Alcoholism. Thanks so much for joining us. Can you kind of explain to people what you mean by the cure for alcoholism? That is a pretty bold statement, we have to say. It's a bold statement, and what we mean by that is that the individual starts out drinking, and they're not alcoholic to begin with, but if they have a genetic predisposition, they strengthen something called the opioid system in the brain. And once that occurs, has taken place over several years and drinking, it never goes away which is why they relapsed. Sinclair discovered something called the alcohol deprivation effect. This is where once addicted, the person, if they are deprived of alcohol, the craving increases and increases because the system, the software, so to speak, the wiring in the brain remains intact for life. And that was one of the first main discoveries. The other thing was that alcohol works in a similar way, similar system to opiates things like morphine or heroin, that when we drink alcohol, there's a release of endorphins, which are the body's natural opiate-like substances, and it's due to these insusceptible people and people who've inherited the predisposition that the system gets much strengthened over time. And that system, until now, until Sinclair's method, has not been reversible. What we mean by cure is that at the end of the treatment, pretty much after three to four months on average, with the person taking the medication and drinking at the same time, the system becomes 
weaker and is reversed, it's removed. So the brain is actually restored to the condition it was in before the addiction was developed. It actually rolls back the addiction. The addictive mechanism in the brain to its original pre-addictive state before the first drink was consumed. So that's why it's a bold claim and this has been shown in animals, their brains have been examined before and after treatment and we can see it in people. Either they abstain, about one third of the patients abstain, and this is a lot of patients we're talking about in many clinical trials, or they carry on drinking but within safe limits, socially acceptable and safe limits. They are now able to choose, whereas before the only way was just abstain as best you could, do whatever you could not to have a drink, go to AA, go to rehab, do whatever, but don't have another drink. That was correct until now because the brain was not curable. You could not cure the addiction in the brain until Sinclair came up with his method. You have a chapter in your book called The Human Cost of That. What is the human cost? Well, alcoholism has been with us since ancient times, and it's caused problems not for everybody. The human cost on a worldwide scale is that 1.8 million people, according to the World Health Organization, die from it every year. And in the United States, about 105,000, according to the American Medical Association. It's a huge cost. It is the single biggest drain on society health-wise in the States. It costs almost $200 billion, $187 billion, which is equivalent to two-thirds of the Pentagon's 2003 budget. If you add up all the lost work days, the car accidents, the medical illnesses, the broken home. It's a massive cost on society, a massive drain. Broken marriages, families, abandoned children, drunken driving. It's huge, absolutely huge. This has been studied by the U.S. government, by the NIAAA, which is the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, NIBA, and the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration Office of Applied Studies, SAMHSA. They find data, for example, like approximately 7% of Americans aged 18 and older at 17.8 million have a drinking problem. Of these, 1.8 million are clear alcoholics way down the line. They've lost complete control over their drinking. Where's that line with alcoholism? It's not a very clear line. People generally get a sense of when they've lost control, and it doesn't seem to happen immediately. There are things like blacking out, saying things that they regret, feeling terrible, having terrible hangovers, feeling that they are craving alcohol. These are the main sorts of issues. It's not, you know, one day you're an alcoholic and then the next day you're not. In fact, nobody walks into a bar aged 21 orders a drink and is an alcoholic or steals it from their parents' cabinet and has the first drink and they're an alcoholic. It's something that's now generally considered to be learned. It's accepted that it is a learned phenomenon. It requires two things to develop. You need to have a genetic predisposition, the biology, and you have to drink not once but many times over much time. And then that produces the system in the brain, the biology of addiction, that keeps on driving it. It's very much like a new thirst is developed. We all are born with a thirst for water. If we're in the desert for 72 hours and we haven't had water and somebody puts water in front of you, it's virtually impossible to refuse it. The craving is overwhelming. And this is what happens eventually with alcoholics, with people who become addicted. The longer they 
abstain, often people try on their own and say, oh, I won't drink tonight, and they don't. And they can go for a few days, but eventually, very much like dieting, they will pray to the overwhelming urge craving and they have a drink. Usually at that point, they drink far more than they would have. There is no clear line on when one is an alcoholic. There are lots of tests that are used, lots of questionnaires that have been developed, but there's no absolute clear line as to when one. More or less best to think of it as having lost control over one's drinking. And that can be fairly mild in the case of excessive social drinking, or it can be out and out clear alcoholism where people wake up at three in the morning to have a drink because otherwise they will go into withdrawal. When mm -hmm. thoughts keep popping into one's head, and one of the things that this book addresses reduces that. It removes the biology of the craving. It reduces the power of the opioid system, but we can get into that a little later. And people simply stop thinking about alcohol. They lose interest in it. It doesn't occupy such an important place in their lives. One of the main myths is that alcoholism is incurable. That's a very big myth. And that alcoholism is something that people are born with. And psychologists are taught, stay away from treating alcoholics. They are liars, they are incurable, and it is under their personal control. One of the first main myths, and this is a myth that is associated with medical doctors and psychologists, as well as the general public, is that it's an incurable thing. And once you're an alcoholic, you're always going to be an alcoholic. That's sort of a myth. It's actually true up until now, up until the Sinclair method, which is what the book is about. As Alcoholics Anonymous says, once an alcoholic, always anonymous, they're correct. One of the other myths is that you have a weak personality, that it is an immoral illness, very much like saying that leprosy is an immoral condition of bad morality and weakness. Alcoholism is thought of that way. In fact, about 10% of alcoholics are able to stop on their own, which is why the traditional treatment, such as the 12 steps, AA, or other abstinence-based methods, which is all we've had really up until now, get 10 to 15% levels of success. That means they can be abstinent for life. So that's what's been available so far to people struggling yes. with alcoholism, is the abstinence-only program. Yes, that's generally, by and large, the staple diet that people get for treatment, not just in the United States, but abroad as well. The idea is stay sober as long as you can, and if you relapse, get back on the wagon. The success rates for traditional treatment, if you look at the NIAAA or NIDA or WHO figures, are between 10 and 15 percent. This is measured in terms of absolute abstinence. For the rest of their lives, they can never have another drink. For example, there's a famous actor who in the United States was abstinent for 20 years, and he had one drink after 20 years, and he ended up relapsing very badly and had to go twice for rehabilitation. And the main thing was to try and abstain. And they go for inpatient rehab where they're given medications which themselves are addicted to help with withdrawal, such as Valium, Diazepam or Librium, Xanax. And generally it's the main way that alcoholism is dealt with. But there are new methods. According to Dr. Mark Willenbring of the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse in Washington, D.C., alcoholism may have a Prozac moment because now we have new medications that can help remove the craving for the first time. David Sinclair, an American researcher, 
researcher who went to the best laboratory in the world for studying alcoholism, and this was run by the government of Finland through the National Public Health Institute in Finland. And they had tremendous amount of funds derived from taxes on alcohol to try and find a solution. And they had bred special high-drinking rats that liked alcohol. That's why Sinclair went there, because they had these rats and another group that were bred that were not susceptible to alcoholism. And that's one of the reasons he went there, because they had animal model to start with. Eventually, it ended up being applied to humans, real humans, with great success. But that's one of the things that drew him from the United States to Finland. This goes back from the beginning where he did his first work at the University of Oregon and in Cincinnati. It's a 40-year effort. Very few scientists get to see their work actually put into practice and work goes back a long time. Lots and lots of research, hundreds of papers published in medical journals, and it's now being taken notice of. For more interviews on health, mind, body, and spirit, go to michaelsenoffshardtofindseminars.com. So the person continues to drink and they take the naltrexone. That's correct. Naltrexone is only effective if the individual drinks at the same time. If naltrexone is given with abstinence, with instructions to abstain, the individual can take it until the cows come home and there'll be no effect. And this was seen in animals, addicted rats, for example, who are drinking at high levels. If you give them medication, you don't allow them access to the medication, don't give them medication. Once you finish that part of the experiment, they are given access to alcohol and they binge drink. They drink up to 18 times more than they were originally, which is what is done with people now. Often they just either thrown in jail or put in a rehab or they abstain through their own volition and the craving goes up and when they have access, they binge drink. So there's not been a way to remove it until Sinclair came up with the Sinclair method. It's sort of counterintuitive, but people are not continuing to drink in the normal manner. They're continuing to drink while taking this medication that blocks endorphins in the brain. Now, trexone blocks the endorphins, and this prevents reward from the endorphins that are released as a result of drinking. And slowly but surely, because there's a prevention of the reward, the system weakens, it gets cut back, the wiring is cut, so that eventually the person is restored back to their original state and they stop craving and they stop testing and stop thinking about alcohol. And this has been measured on craving scales, the number of drinks go down to safe limits. Long-term studies show, for example, a study in Finland called a dual double-blind placebo-controlled study, which is the gold standard in science. And after three years of treatment, the patients were taking an average of nine drinks a week or no more than 1.5 drinks on a drinking occasion. This is a very profound thing. All they were able to abstain. Many said, I've had such a problem with alcohol, why should I drink again? There's a golden rule to all of this. The patient always has to take this medication if they are ever going to drink in the future. If they're drinking every day, they take this medication. If they drink once a year, they just take it once a year. The addiction can be relearned, reacquired, if they start drinking again without the medicine. It discontinues the addiction, removes it physically, and that's 90% of the battle. People may have emotional, psychological problems as a result of their excessive drinking, but unless you can fix the problem in the body and in the brain, you can't get rid of the addiction. It's a terrible
terrible thing for people. They're unable to stop. And as we said earlier, families are broken and often people don't come forward for treatment because they're afraid that they will fail. They've seen so many others who've been in and out of rehab and they don't want to have to wear this label, alcoholic, which is so stigmatized and so full of shame. With this treatment, people don't have to do it. They don't have to wear a label. And with traditional treatment, not to mention the expense, which for many people is out of their reach. Yes, well, it can be at some of the rather fancy rehabs up to $40,000 per treatment for 28 days. Essentially, what Sinclair talks about is something called the D method. He says, first, you have to detect what's going on. So that means you have to diagnose the patient. And there's a lot of stigma associated with wearing that label on your forehead. And then you have to delay. Delay means, you know, you have to finally admit I'm an alcoholic and then you have to wait for an opening to enter a rehab program. And that may take several months. And you then have to tell your boss, I'm going away for a month. Where are you going? I'm going not to a resort, but for rehab, will my job still be waiting? Then there's a whole question of detox. People often have to go for detox, which can be very painful, uncomfortable, can even be fatal. And rapid detox can destroy the brain cells and they're given medicines like Valium, Vizepam, Librium, a whole range of things. And these medicines themselves can become addictive. Then you have to detain the patient. So you have to keep them in the place where it's impossible to drink. And then they're instructed the hardest thing, don't drink. That's the hardest thing you can say to an alcoholic, don't drink, because after all, that's what defines them. They're unable to stop, they've lost control. And often in these treatments, it's quite hard, they've denigrated. Sometimes they're given a medication called disulfiram or antabuse. This is a medicine that you take, it's tablet or it can be implanted. You take this medicine and you drink, it gives terrible nausea and you throw up. The studies all show that it is ineffective and actually agonizing and can cause death. And traditional rehab is very expensive. With the Sinclair method, there's no detection, no delay, no disulfiram, no denigration because patients are treated with dignity. And there's no revolving door. They don't have to keep coming back. It pretty much works the first time around for 80% of patients. In animals, it's 100% effective, but humans are not. Animals, in the way rats are in laboratory conditions, but 80% has previously been unheard of in addiction medicine. People are thinking of between 5% is what Alcoholics Anonymous officially says is their success rate and up to 15%. There are other claims of 30% or 40%, but these are not very substantiated. Often these claims are made by people who are in the $6.2 billion rehabilitation industry. They don't address the issue of continued craving. I mean, the alcoholic person might in the morning not crave it, and maybe for a day or two, but then it suddenly becomes overwhelming. There's a trigger. They pass a favorite bar. They see a favorite bottle of wine. There are hundreds of triggers, and they're unable to resist the urge. Overwhelming, just like being in the desert with water where you haven't had it for three days, and they relapse. They find when they do have that first one or two drinks, they drink heavily. The relapse is terrible. But with the Sinclair method, where there's no more reward from the alcohol, from the endorphins that are released, then the craving goes away. The system is not dead. It's as though they were 18 years old or 21 years old before they had learned the addiction. So if people want to find out more about the cure for alcoholism, Dr. Escapa, where can they go? Well, there's a website from which they can download several chapters from the book and 
there are chapters on case histories, there's a chapter for medical professionals on prescribing the medication, and it's simply thecureforalcoholism.com. They can also look up on the internet the Sinclair Method, S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R. It's in Wikipedia. There's quite a bit about it now. There are also clinical trials that are listed on the website that they can download. There's quite a lot of information, including a forum that readers have started here in the United States. And the forum website is thesinclairmethod.com. People are talking and discussing about what's happening for them. Many of them have been through traditional treatments and have found this. Some are at the beginning stages, some are have done very well already. That's where they'll find out about it. And of course, through the book. The book is available on Amazon.com or through Ben Better Books of Texas. Now, if a person wants to get a hold of the naltrexone, how do they do that in this country? They go to their doctor. Although the medicine is on a very low schedule, it does require a prescription. And this is where some people have difficulty. They need to find an understanding and compassionate doctor, and they can show the chapter for to the doctors on how to prescribe the medication. The question of having a good doctor-patient relationship and finding a sympathetic doctor. Some of the patients have been ordering the medication on the Internet, but I don't advise that. It should be done properly to a medical practitioner. In fact, there is a step in the book which indicates, which shows people how to deal with doctors, how to show them that it's very safe. I mean, the medication itself is not abusable. It doesn't make you high or low. It's got a very safe side effect profile. One of the side effects initially for some patients is nausea, and there are ways around that by starting out taking half the dose the first two or three times, and then the body adapts to it. For more interviews like this, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Now, are there some people that can't go this route? Well, of course, it's not indicated for pregnant women, and it's not indicated for people who are already dependent or addicted to opiates, such as morphine or heroin. If they take this medication and they're a morphine addict, it could put them into the door. But there are adequate warnings about this. If you or I took this medicine now, we wouldn't feel anything. We wouldn't either feel high or low. It may, if we had a drink and if we're not alcoholic, block what we call the first drink effect. That's the sort of nice, fuzzy feeling that non-alcoholic drinkers get, the first drink. But other than that, it's very sort of inert in the body. But again, the most important thing about this is that the medication itself has no active power. It is only activated in combination with drinking, and this is called pharmacological extinction, one of Sinclair's great contributions. And this came originally from the work of Pavlov on learning and extinction in dogs. So it's a very, very powerful thing, and it's wonderful to see the patient regain control of their drinking. I worked in rural India among the rural poor who were given this treatment and we went to remote villages and met the wives and it's usually men who have the problem up there. This is near Dharamsala in North India in remote villages. We met the wives and the mothers and the families of alcoholics and there was just tremendous joy that the addiction had abated and gone away. Of course there the medication costs a dollar a tablet, and that's not very expensive for us in the West. But for them earning two or three dollars a day, it's quite difficult to pay for it. And the danger there is if they start drinking again without 
without the medication, the addiction recurs again. But as long as you have access to the medication and follow the golden rule of always taking this medication before you drink, then you will not reacquire the addiction. And Dr. Escapa, you have some wonderful stories in The Cure for Alcoholism in your book about some families that you have dealt with over the years. I was wondering if you could share that with our listeners. I can think of two cases. One involved quite intensive therapy. This is called Julia's story. It's about a woman. She had a tremendous problem with alcohol. She had a lovely family. She was a potter. Her husband was well off. They were doing very well. And she started to drink well into her marriage. And her daughters noticed that she would go for parties and always get drunk. And eventually, she stopped her pottery. And she, all she could do was crave alcohol. And there was divorce possibility until they heard about the Sinclair Method. And Julia was very afraid of going into a hospital for treatment. She wanted nothing to do with doctors. But she was told, well, she doesn't have to stop drinking. She doesn't have to be hospitalized. All she needs to do is take this medication. And she saw a psychiatrist who prescribed it for her, made sure that her liver was in good shape. And then she worked with a psychologist on a very intensive, regular basis. She had lots of meetings and contact with the doctors. And in the end, she decided to stop drinking completely decided to stop drinking and it was one of those great cases. The marriage was saved, the family was very happy, but that was intensive with lots of contact. But you don't have to have that much expensive contact with professionals. There was another case that I treated called Richard's story, in which I described the Sinclair Light method. Same success, but less intensive. In fact, this was a patient that I met who was getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to drink or else he would have terrible shakes and had completely lost control. He had been to Alcoholics Anonymous. He tried everything. He'd become religious, but the addiction was deeply installed in his brain. What we did in this case was I explained to him and his wife how the treatment worked and they said they'd like to try it and they went to their general practitioner. The general practitioner gave them a prescription spoke to me on the phone and said, as long as I'm in touch with them, I was in touch, I did this case by telephone support. I've seen this all the patient twice, and he managed to get a friend who was a pharmacist to prescribe this medication at cost, and he started the treatment, and initially he was drinking at high levels, but the drinking and the craving went down. He was drinking more than 100 units a week, very, very high amount of alcohol, and after four months, his drinking was down to very safe limits. He decided that he was going to continue drinking, but always with the medication. And I saw him, and at the very end of the treatment, he was wearing a little locket around his neck, and inside the locket he had his medication because I had insisted never drink without this medication again. And it was a wonderful story. Well, the thing is here also that you've got a way to do it expensively with lots of contact, lots of expensive therapy sessions, or you can do it inexpensively with much less contact, much less counseling. And this was shown also by the American Medical Association when they published Project Combine, which was the largest trial ever on alcoholism using various methods, including the use of naltrexone, that you don't have to have such intensive therapy. Of course, this is a bit of a threat to the rehabilitation industry because, you know, what will happen to all the addiction counselors and addiction medicine doctors' jobs if all that you need is to go to a general practitioner or family practitioner, get a prescription for naltrexone, go off 
carry on drinking as you normally would, but with the proviso that you've added in naltrexone so that it blocks the reward coming from the endorphins that are released by alcohol in the brain. Again, it's not a magic cure. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. The person doesn't consciously feel the addiction happening in their body. But when they look back over a month, over two months, over three months, they can clearly see at least 80% of them. Some people are claiming 90%, but 80% is a safe figure. They can clearly see my drinking is down, my craving is down, and I feel a whole lot better. My wife or my husband's happier, my kids are happier, and there's no stigma. They don't have to go to meetings every day. They don't have to deal with ongoing craving. Craving can be like the weather. You can have a few days of an alcoholic where the craving is not there, but then you can have the sudden storm which overtakes you. One day, my hope is that this medication will become an over-the-counter medication without the need for prescription. In fact, there's every chance that in the future, the new medication, nalmathine, new meaning uh, similar to naltrexone, will become over-the-counter, but in years to come. And we will one day look back upon the way we've treated addiction, particularly to alcohol, as though we were very primitive. The way we now look upon the way we treat leprosy by putting patients in leper colonies, whereas today, these kinds of infective illnesses, we have very good medications and a very good medical way of dealing with them. Alcoholism is many things, but one of the things it certainly is a medical condition, and that medical condition has a medical answer through the Sinclair method. Through naltrexone plus drinking, you get cured. On the other hand, this is a very important point. If you are prescribed naltrexone with abstinence, it doesn't work. This was shown in a study at Yale University by Crystal and published in the New England Journal of Medicine in the year 2000 where they took 627 Veterans Administration alcoholics and said to them, take this medicine and don't drink. Go to AA, go to abstinence, however you can, don't drink. And after three months, they had a look at what happened and the patients, there was no change in their craving, at which point they stopped taking the medication and relapsed. And the conclusion got out, unfortunately, that naltrexone is ineffective. This was because the study was done incorrectly. By analogy, we now know, of course, that polio vaccines work to prevent polio. But if you give the vaccine after the patient has contracted polio, it's ineffective. It doesn't work. And if you were to look at the study done that way, you'd say, well, the polio vaccine is useless. We don't want to use it. And this is what happened with that study in the New England Journal of Medicine. It got noticed, and therefore people said, we don't believe that naltrexone works. So there's a lobby which doesn't believe that you can treat so-called chemical addictions with chemicals. And this is an ideology, and we need to overcome this. One of the alternatives, because so few people come forward for treatment, of the 18 million, maybe 2 million come forward every year. Maybe some claim 3 million. But that means there's 15 million people who are left untreated. They're driving under the influence of alcohol. They are getting involved with crime. It accounts for a huge proportion of violent crime, alcohol-related. Massive problem, not just in the United States, but worldwide. As I said earlier, alcohol claims 1.8 million lives every year worldwide. And to put that in perspective, HIV-AIDS, according to WHO, takes 3 million lives. So it's a big thing, but it's also a huge drain on society, particularly now with the recession that's going on. America doesn't have 187 billion.
dollars to spend on addictive drinking. Loss of work hours, accidents, hospitals, cancers, of course, heart disease. Dr. Scapa, what I'm wondering too, though, is why isn't the Sinclair method more widely available to people? Why haven't we heard more about it? Okay, that's a good question. In fact, that's one thing that my publisher asked and insisted to put a chapter, chapter four. Why haven't I already heard of the Sinclair method? And he sort of came up with some ideas as to why. One of the ideas is that there are commercial invested interests. I mean, if this medication were patented, you can be sure it would have received advertising. The drug companies, the pharmaceuticals, spend millions on advertising, but they're not going to advertise a drug or medication that they don't have a proprietary right to, because anybody else can just sell it at a very cheap point. The other thing is that people tend to think of medications as, you know, they take them passively. If we have high blood pressure, we take a medicine for it. We don't have to do anything. Have a headache, take a painkiller. You don't have to actively do something. There was confusion about naltrexone being an anti-craving medication, that all you had to do was take the medicine and that's what was effective. The medicine is ineffective if taken that way. It only becomes active and it becomes gradually active but powerfully active if combined with ongoing drinking. Another reason why we don't know is information overload. Every month, literally thousands of studies are published in medical journals. Far way too many for doctors to consume and sift through. So that's one of the other reasons to get the information across. And that's one of the reasons the book was written. Those are some of the big things. The other thing is to change a whole system. It's difficult. There's an infrastructure. The way alcoholism is treated in America is already established. There are rehab hospitals. There's Alcoholics Anonymous in the 12 steps. There are also non-Alcoholics Anonymous approaches. And these are all funded in certain ways. So to change the funding is a difficult thing. You can't get funding yet for the Sinclair method, although that will come as patients demand it themselves more and more. There's 70 clinical trials that prove this. But in medical history, there's been lots of cases where it's taken a long time. I mean, it's not sort of counterintuitive that if you give a little bit of illness, as in a vaccination, attenuated virus, for example, you can prevent smallpox. You give a little bit of cowpox and you prevent it. Nobody wanted to use it. They're scared of it. It took William Harvey in the 1500s, 100 years for people to believe that circulation was caused by the action of a pumping heart. And Edward Jenner's thing that I just mentioned earlier in the 1700s was rejected at first. Nobody wanted to take vaccinations. Now vaccinations against life-threatening disease is routine around the world. Lister, for example, in the 1800s, that was a great revolution in medical science. But people didn't believe that gangrene was caused because doctors didn't wash their hands and sterilize surgical instruments. Now every hospital is immaculate or should be immaculately sterile. Louis Pasteur, you know, we boil milk now. We heat it up to destroy bacteria in milk that can cause TB. He also came up with a vaccination against rabies. It took him a long time in the 1800s, about 10 years, when he went around the French countryside showing that his vaccine worked against rabies. The farmers did not want to have their animals, their livestock vaccinated, but he demonstrated, he showed this group is effective if they are protected, if they're vaccinated, and that group is not. And it takes time for the world to adopt new approaches. There's a whole infrastructure, as I said, in the U.S., and not just the U.S., the U.K., all over the
the world there's a way that people assume addiction should be treated. That assumption has to change to save lives. You also mention other addictions and how this drug has been helpful for those. Yes. We know for certain that it's effective for alcohol, but it is also the principle that Sinclair discovered of pharmacological extinction is a breakthrough because you can apply this principle to other addictions, substance addiction and non-substance addiction. For example, at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, that's the institute that awards the Nobel Prize, there was recently a very, very profound study, again, double-blind, placebo-controlled, on the use of naltrexone for amphetamine, that's speed, or methamphetamine addiction, which is a big problem in Sweden and here too. And in my country of origin, South Africa, people take this drug because it's cheap. It's a sort of cheap cocaine, a cheap high. And if you give naltrexone or nalmefine, the new medication, but this study was done with naltrexone, to patients who are addicted to amphetamine, their craving comes down in the same way. More studies need to be done. There was a study at the University of Texas on cocaine. The same thing, not just with animals and rats, but in humans, they stop craving cocaine. And then there are non-substance addictions, for example, gambling. The American Gaming Association funded the study, and they showed a 75% level of success if patients were given naltrexone. They used a slightly higher dose than was given for, that is usually given for alcoholism. This is because when people gamble, there's a kind of rush, a release of endorphins in the brain, whether they lose or whether they win. But you can extinguish this as well, high-risk behaviors. Certain eating disorders like bulimia, these have to be handled under careful medical attention. And of course, opiate addiction, morphine, this is an illegal substance, so you cannot tell people go and take heroin or morphine, but they can be switched onto methadone. And from methadone, you can then give them naltrexone in a very careful, monitored way and extinguish their craving, remove the addiction. There are other medications that may work for nicotine. This medicine, naltrexone, generally not effective for nicotine. And the new application will be with a short-acting form of naltrexone called naloxone in a special way, a special delivery. And this will be excellent for weight control for sweets. When we taste sweets, there's a release of endorphins. Part of survival, when a baby is on the mother's breast and tastes milk, there isn't time to wait for their blood glucose levels to rise. There's a release of endorphin in the brain, and that sort of tells the baby, do more of it, it's good for you. Eating sweet fruits rather than unripe fruit. If you have something sweet in your mouth, it releases endorphins to signal for survival, do more of this. This is just the beginning, but we know certainly that it works for alcohol in the majority of people. Willpower is wonderful. I want to make this point, and this is an important point. Some people are able to stop just like that. One in ten are told by their doctor, you're doing damage to your liver, stop drinking, and they just stop like that. Or someone's spouse will say, I'm leaving you, and they stop drinking. The other point that needs to be made clearly is that for those people who are doing well with abstinence, such as Alcoholics Anonymous or one of the other abstinence-based methods, this treatment is not for them. Hats off to you. Keep doing what you are doing. This is not meant to dupe you into thinking. It's a license for you to start drinking again. This is only for those people who are currently drinking and need to detox slowly while taking the medication. So they start in drinking or, and taking the medication and they drink less and they crave less. But for those who are 
are doing well and are going to their Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and are doing well with it, the Sinclair method is not for you. You don't need it. It's for those people who had trouble remaining abstinent. The idea also is that it's cost-effective. Treatment doesn't have to cost a lot. It doesn't have to require such intensive care. You don't have to go to a hospital to rehab or be admitted, pay professionals a fortune. It can be managed with limited intervention. You do need intervention. You do need care, the care of a doctor, maybe even a counselor every so often to just see how you're getting along. It's important to be keeping a record both of the drinking and the craving, and it can be very useful to have somebody hold your hand and guide you along. But it's not an absolute necessity. Again, this was established and shown in the largest clinical trial, Project Combine, published in 2006 by the American Medical Association in its journal. Now, Dr. Escapa, can you mention your website one more time for our listeners that are interested in finding more about the cure of alcoholism? Okay, the website from where they can download chapters and they have to click on about the book is called thecureforalcoholism.com, all one word. There is a forum on the internet and it's called The Sinclair Method, S-I-N-C-L-A-I-R-M-E-T-H-O-D.com. Well, Dr. Escapa, we want to thank you once again. Thank you very much. We need to get the word out there and start saving lives. Thank you. Much appreciated. That's the end of our interview, and I hope you've enjoyed it. For more great health-related interviews, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. That's the end of our interview on how to cure alcoholism. For more great interviews on health and wellness, go to hardtofindseminars.com.